1 Kings 3. We're going to go through the uh, whole chapter of 3, and we're going to get into the first part of chapter 4, where I may end up butchering names, but we're going to try and not do that. But we'll get through it. So we've seen now David has passed on. Uh, he's already passed the torch on to Solomon. Solomon now is going to start to step into his reign full right and start making a lot of decisions that he has in his own right. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start with verse 1, and it reads, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So we can see David is starting to become a master builder. He builds a lot uh, during his reign. He's going to build the Lord's house, the temple, which we're going to talk about when we get around chapter 6. He also is going to build his own palace or his own house, and as well as expand the territory of Jerusalem as he builds out walls there as well. So there's going to be a lot of building going on, and we'll, we'll get to that point. But one of the main things uh, that we know about Solomon is that he had a lot of wives. He was very much into, uh, into the women and foreign women. And if we look here, he made a, a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, in the Middle East, and not only there, but also in Europe during the time of the kingdoms, a lot of kings would make treaties and marry off their, their uh, princesses or their princes off to other nations to have peace amongst each other so that there was no turmoil. And by marrying Pharaoh's daughter, that almost guaranteed peace with Egypt, that Pharaoh wouldn't go and attack Israel, uh, who, and that would be like attacking his own family since his daughter was married there. But this would end up being a big problem for Solomon and ultimately lead, his, lead him away from the Lord and lead him astray from God. So Solomon is compromising here. And, and we know what happens to people who compromise their faith. It, it doesn't end up very well for them. And, and we shouldn't be compromising our faith. And it's also to remember as Christians, it's no longer really about if we're marrying someone from a foreign nation, but are we going to marry someone of a foreign faith? So as Christians, we shouldn't be unevenly uh, yoked with an unbeliever. We should try and marry within the Christian faith. That way we're in one accord and, and, and we're one, they like to say, on the same page of the same book. So as, as believers, we should marry someone who has the same beliefs and, and desires for God as we do. <clears throat> and if you're not, if you are married to an unbeliever, uh, just stay strong and be a strong example for that unbeliever that one day they will get saved, him or her will get saved, as well as your children. But we shouldn't compromise in our faith. And moving on to verse 2, it reads, Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places, because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statues as his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. So Solomon, we see here they're, worship, they're, they're doing their sacrifice, and they're going to these high places to, to do their burnt offerings and sacrifice to God. Now a lot of these high places they were going to were from the Canaanites whenever they took over this territory. A lot of the high places, they, they did their burnt offerings and sacrifices were in places that were set up for pagan idols. <clears throat> and, the, and the Jews were not worshiping necessarily where God wanted them to worship. 
And if you read in Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 5, it speaks about what they should do with these areas of worship. And it says, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your father is giving you to possess all the days that you may live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all places where the, nation, uh, where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under the green tree, and you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. There you shall go. So God is telling them they should have destroyed all these high places. They should have destroyed all these groves and trees where the Canaanites were worshiping. The law specifies that God, that the God that people should worship is what? The true God, Jehovah not the gods of the Canaanites. They would have worshipped him and where he approved for them to worship. Solomon should have had his people worshiping either in Jerusalem or in Gibeon where the tabernacle was at. It was almost like Solomon was tiptoeing around sin right here by allowing the people to worship in all these different areas. It was like he's trying to see how close to sin could he get without getting burnt. We should be trying to run away from sin, not get closer to it. So what does this worship places have to do with us? Some people say that they can worship anywhere they want to worship. I can worship in my backyard. I can go worship uh, while watching the internet. I can go worship at my neighbor's house. Hey, Jesus, what? He preached from a boat. So I think Sunday I'm going to go boating. That's what I'm going to go do, and I'm going to worship out there in nature. But that's not what God has for us, and people will make up all kind of excuses why they can't attend church or that they don't need to be with other believers. It's not true. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaches. We need to come together and worship together as a body. And, and yes, we need to worship in spirit and we need to worship in truth. And yes, we can worship anywhere you're at. You can worship God at work. You can worship God at your house. You can worship God anywhere. But he wants us to come together as one body, as a place of worship. And most of those people who don't assemble, who call themselves believers and don't assemble together with the other believers, it usually has a lot of pain in their life and have a lot of struggle in their life because they're not feeding off the other believers and walking in faith together. We can see, that we can see how we need to live in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you had the first church. They would come together and had all things in common, and they would share with each other. They would share each other's burdens. They would share each other's material things. So they would come together where God would want them to worship. Idols. Here they're going to serve God and, and worship God in places where foreign idols were at. What about the idols in our life? In Deuteronomy, it tells us that we're supposed to what? Destroy those idols, set those idols on fire. It says, utterly destroy them. Are we utterly destroying the idols that we have in our life? What are the idols that we have in our life? Is it money? Is it family? Is it work? 
Is it success of other people? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? What is our idols that we have in our life? And what are the things that we need to utterly destroy? Just like Deuteronomy told us. So King Solomon should have had his people worshiping in the places approved by God. And as we go on into verse 4, it reads, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what shall I give you? That's a lot of barbecuing going on right there. That's a lot of sacrifice. Because what they would do with sacrifices, and they would actually eat the sacrifice, and they would have a feast. And that's a lot of work that's being put in by Solomon to do this. And no doubt, I believe Solomon loved the Lord, especially at this point. So Solomon goes to Gibeon to worship, and this is where the tabernacle is at. So he is worshiping in a place where the Lord wants us to worship. He wants us to come to the tabernacle and worship him. And Solomon here is submitting to what the Lord wants him to do. Now, Solomon had been working all day, and after, and after probably eating some of this, he got very tired. And he decided that he was going to go ahead and go to sleep. So he did that. He went to sleep. After making his offerings of praise, after making his offerings of service, whenever, and then whenever we find ourselves in a place of giving to the Lord, the Lord wants to speak to us just like he's about to speak to Solomon. So the message came in a dream. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Lord spoke through visions and dreams. But that doesn't mean that every dream we have is from the Lord or every dream we have is of the Lord. So some dreams we have, we can probably just push them aside and not worry about them. But God doesn't just tuck you in and then tune you out. No, he doesn't. I believe God likes to talk to us in dreams and visions because sometimes that's the only time that we're going to be quiet and listen to what he has to say. So whenever we're sleeping, we're not going to be responding to him so he's able to talk to us. I've had a couple dreams in my life that have spoken and kind of uh, reached out to me. Uh, before I was saved, I had a dream and Jesus appeared in it. And I was in the middle of a, in the, uh, it was in a Ford Explorer and I was sleeping in the back seat. And I won't get into all the details, but I can feel the presence of someone on the side of that Ford Explorer knocking on the window. And I seen it was Jesus, and I tried to hide from him. Like I felt dirty, I felt ashamed. And he told me to roll the window down, so I did. And he asked me, he said, Brandon, is there a ghost in here? I said, no. He, he kind of laughed and chuckled and said, okay, and started walking down the driveway. He was asking me, is the Holy Spirit in you? And he knew the answer. I didn't know the answer. I didn't know that a week later I was going to get saved after this dream. I also had another dream where I was in the middle of a town, and the town was flooded. It, I mean, the water was up to the stop signs. And just like Peter, I was walking on water, and I noticed as long as I stayed looking straight, I would stay on the water. As soon as I started looking at the chaos from left to right, I would start to sink. And when I looked straight ahead, it was Jesus, just like it was in the other dream. He had a white robe, he had the red sash, and he had a crown, a crown of thorns on his head. And he was like, focus on me, focus on me. And as long as I did that, I would stay above water. So God does speak to people in dreams. And he spoke to me in dreams already. 
So in, in this dream, God asked Solomon, what do you want? And he'll do it for you. What would you like from God? What prayer would you like God to answer? Is there any requests you have? He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to speak to you through dreams. And moving on to verse 6, it says, And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his, on his throne as of this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go or how to come in. Now, Solomon was a young man at this time. I, said, I think I said in the last sermon that he was anywhere between the age of 16 and 20, so he was still trying to fill out how to be a man, and then he's thrust into the kingship here, you know, kind of out of nowhere, and he doesn't really know how to act as a king. He doesn't really know how to make the right decisions on things, but he's learning, and he's speaking to God right now about, look, I don't know really what to do. What can, what can I do? And he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So Solomon knew exactly where to go with this. He understood that he was young and didn't know a whole lot and didn't have a lot of experience in life, but he knew who to turn to to get what he needed to rule this kingdom. And we look also in Acts, uh, although the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, Solomon spoke verbally. So the, he had the dream, and within the dream, he's actually speaking to God, laying his heart out to them. And in Acts 12, we see Peter is told by an angel to get up and follow him. And then Peter ended up getting up, following the angel, and was set free. Now, what if Peter wouldn't have took action within that dream? What if Peter would have not gotten up to follow the angel out to freedom? What if he would have not done that? He would have woke up on a cold jail floor. What if he would have just took that, that what the angel was saying about follow me and just took it as some type of encouragement and didn't take action on it? He would have just, just woke up back in jail. But he didn't. He stepped up in faith and he followed the angel to freedom. King Solomon was given a task here. He's given a task to be king of Israel right now. And he's young. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have lots of experience. But what does he ask for? He asks for wisdom. He asks for understanding to be able to rule these people. And if you know the history of Israel, even up to this point, they were a stiff-necked people. They never want to listen to God. They didn't want to do what he says. They were brought into slavery in Egypt and all kind of other mess when they came out of Egypt because they were a stiff-necked people. So Solomon knew at this point he was getting himself into some pretty thick woods with these, these people of Israel, and he knew he was going to need all he can get from God to rule over them. There was a pastor in Hawaii that I heard speaking uh, that said when he was younger, they had started a fellow, kind of a Bible study fellowship on the north shore of Oahu. And uh, a lot of these guys didn't have any kind of training. They just, hey, they got saved and said, hey, we want to start a Bible study, and they did it. And they said they prayed to God to send somebody to them 
to come and lead that, that fellowship. Well, God never sent anyone to them. God said that you're going to lead this fellowship. Y'all are going to take care of this fellowship. And he said that they felt like a bunch of nobodies asking for wisdom. But God granted them the wisdom and granted him what he needed to lead that Bible study. And all he had to do was ask for that wisdom. And he was in the, the pastor I'm talking about is, was one of the first Calvary chapels there in, in, in Hawaii. So God definitely blessed his, his, uh, his question that he asked him. So what task has God asked of you? And have you asked God for wisdom for that task? He told Solomon to ask him for anything, and Solomon asked him wisdom, that he might be able to lead these people. And the, begin, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord is also to recognize that you don't have the wisdom. So the fear of wisdom is realizing that you don't have the wisdom. And knowing that, hey, Lord, asking the Lord, Lord, you know what? I need wisdom because I don't know as much as I think I know. Especially when we're younger, we think we know everything and we can rule the world and take it on. You don't. Ask the Lord for wisdom. I'm talking to my two right here. In James 1, uh, 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In the New King James Version, it says that he gives it liberally and without reproach. So liberally means that he gives large or generous amounts of it. He's just not going to give you a spoonful of wisdom. But if you really want to seek him and you really want the wisdom of God, he wants to give you mounds of wisdom. He wants to give you seconds, thirds, and fourth servings of wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom in large amounts. And then it also says without reproach. That means he does it without disapproval or disappointment. He's not, he's not disappointed in giving you wisdom. He's not disproving you in giving the wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom. But all we have to do is ask. And often we use the wisdom of, of ourselves or, human, or humankind. We use human wisdom to try and take care of issues. When he plainly, he plainly shows with Solomon in his word that he's willing to give you the wisdom you need to walk in his ways. He's willing to give you wisdom liberally and without reproach. Just ask him for wisdom. And as we go on, it reads in verse 11. It says, Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked... <clears throat> but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And have also given you what you have not asked, both riches, honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days." So God gave him some lanyap right there. He gave him a little extra, right? So he just asked for wisdom, but God says, I'm going to bless you with everything else too. And that's the God we serve. We serve a God that is more than enough and can provide more than enough for us, and he'll even provide extra for us if we're walking in his ways. In Matthew 6.33, it taught us that we've got to seek first the kingdom of God, Right? 
And after all of that, seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness and everything else will be added to you. And Solomon is proof of this. Seeking him and walking in his ways, you'll get the wisdom you need. You'll get the, the, the knowledge you need. You'll get all the things that you need, and he will provide all things for you if you would just seek him first. And how many of us, whenever we pray, do we really seek him first? Whenever you prayed today, did you seek his kingdom? Did you seek to know his kingdom? Did you ask, Lord, allow the kingdom to be explained, allow your name to be exalted today? Or was it more like, Lord, I need this. I need $20 for gas today. I need something to eat today, Lord. Lord, you know I have this issue that's coming up this weekend. Can you go ahead and take care of that for me? Or did we go to the Lord and praise and worship and honor first before we even brought our petitions to him? Whenever, the Lord, whenever we studied the Lord's Prayer, we talked about our Father who art in heaven. We started off with praise, acknowledging who he was before we even got into any of our petitions. Let's use that as a model of prayer. Solomon didn't ask for himself. He asked for the kingdom, and that pleased God. Solomon's request was not selfish or, or his own ambition, but, it sparked, but his answer sparked the interest of God, and God granted him. And that was the will of God, to give him wisdom. Continuing on in verse 14, it reads, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, indeed, it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So once again, in verse 14, we see conditions again. Same conditions that were brought to David, that if he would have a, a family member on the throne all the days of Israel, if his children followed the statutes and ways of the Lord. And once again, King Solomon asked for wisdom, and God granted them wisdom. Then he said he will do all this as well, give him long life in all these things, if he does what? Follows his statutes and his commandments. Once again, we have the same conditions again that the Lord gave him and that his dad David gave him. So some of God's requests and wants will come with conditions. They're not all unconditional, and there are certain things we have to follow. We talked earlier about following, uh, seeking the kingdom of God, and then all things are added to us. So what's the condition on that? Seeking the kingdom of God. If we don't seek the kingdom of God, we'll have more heartache and trouble, and those things that we may want and need in life will not be added to us. So we need to seek the kingdom of God. We need to follow his statutes and commands. So, if you walk in my way to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father did, I will lengthen your days. Solomon did not live as long as David. Solomon died before the age David died. He didn't listen to all that his God or his father had asked. And we, as Christians, we need to start off good in our walk, and we need to end our race good in our walk. King David, though he had his issues and his struggles, started his his walk with God off right and ended his 
walk with God right. And why? Because he had a heart after God. Even though he had issues, sin issues, he always returned back to God and repented from them. He always had God on his mind and on his heart. And we'll see later that Solomon loses this. His walk with, with God was not quite like his father's. And we're going to see later on that he's going to be drawn away from him. But we must walk in the ways of the Lord. And you notice, too, when he woke up, why did he go right back to again? Barbecuing. He went, he went ahead and went do some more sacrificing for the Lord because he was excited about what the Lord was giving him. The Lord was giving him wisdom. How do you react when the Lord answers a prayer of yours or answers a request of yours? Or he blesses you with something that you, you can never even think of or fathom. How do we react? We need to celebrate what God has done for us. From the smallest thing to the biggest thing, we need to celebrate God and have a joy and a praise in our heart because he is our God. Just the fact that he's letting us breathe this morning, we should celebrate that. Because he is a great and awesome God. We don't need to walk around all somber. I'm holy, woe is me. Sounding like Eeyore from Disney. We don't walk around with a cloud over our head. We walk around with a God that created the clouds. We walk around with a God that created the sun, and we should celebrate that. And the people that are with us at work or our family members should see the joy of the Lord in us. Even when hard times come, we should be celebrating the Lord. For the simple fact, those hard times are going to pass at some point. So we should always celebrate the Lord. In Psalms 97 and 12 it says, Rejoice in the Lord, your righteousness, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Just we hear the name Jesus, we should be thankful and joyful. Even though we may be going through some trials and we may go on our tribulations, we should always have joy that comes from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Continuing on in verse 16, we're going to start talking about one of the uh, first wise judgments that Solomon had to make after asking God for the wisdom. And it reads, Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. 
So here we see Solomon about to use this wisdom that was granted to him. And we take a glimpse at this. And we have these two women that are, are complaining about the one child is dead and one is alive. And they're trying to argue about whose child is who. And so King Solomon told, told him, hey, bring me a sword. Now that, that seems kind of cruel because we'll read in a minute what he was going to do with the child. But he had a motive behind that. But we need to look at this because in Hebrews 4.12, it talks about the sword of God is a quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So let's look at this in making decisions. So if you have to share advice with a friend or you have to share advice with family, first thing you need to do is say, go get me my sword. Go get me my word. Let's see what the word of God has to say about your situation. So let's look at the Word of God to guide and lead us in all of our decisions. If you want to be effective at ministering to people, always say, go get my sword. Have the sword in your hand. Let's see what the Word of God says about your situation. Let's see what the Word has to say. Let, this, let the Word of God rightly divide what needs to happen. And this is what Solomon is doing. He's taking the sword before these two. And it goes on in verse 25. It says, And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman uh, whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O oh my lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in, in him to administer justice. So here we see David making the decision. And Solomon's... Solomon's uh, answer was brilliant. He found the rightful mother of the child, and he played on the heartstrings of the, of the two women to see who the, who the child really belonged to, because there wasn't a father there to claim who the child was for. There was no other witnesses in the house. It was just the two. The children were only three days apart from each other, so they were very young. It wasn't anything, you know, they were very young children, so there was no way of determining whose child was whose. But once Solomon made this decision to sacrifice the child in front of the women, the real mother stepped up because the real mother doesn't want to see their children die. The real mother would rather be away from her children than to see them have to die like that. And this is what we see right here with this answer. We need to speak in wisdom in our relationships as well. So many like to use cutting words in relationships, which only tear the relationships apart, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's other family, we need to not use cutting words. We need to use words that build our relationships up with others. So let's continue on. We're going to move on to chapter 4, starting with verse 1, and please bear with me as I go through these names. So King Solomon was king over Israel. 
and these were his officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest. Elihoreph and Hajah, the sons of Shisha. Scribes, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilad, the recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army. Zadok and Abiathar, the priest. Now, as we recall in the previous chapter, Abiathar was relieved of his priestly duties. So this particular portion was either written before Abiathar was relieved, or at some point maybe he regained the trust of Solomon and uh, became one of the priests again. I, I, I tend to lean towards it being written before Abiathar was relieved because of the prophecy with Eli's sons, he would have nobody as a priest. So I think it's before. Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers. Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend. So Zabud was a friend of Solomon. He wasn't just a loyal servant. He wasn't, he wasn't just somebody that served him. He was also a friend of Solomon. Ahishar, over the household of Adoniram, the son of Abada, over the labor force. And Solomon had 12 governors over all of Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. These are their names. Ben-Hur, now when we see Ben, that just means the son of. So Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim. Ben Decker in Makaz, Shalabim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Beth Hanan. Ben Hest in Arborth, to him belong Soko and all the land of Hefer. Ben Abinadeb in all the regions of Dor. He had Tephath, the daughter of Solomon, as a wife. Benah, the son of Ahilad in Tahamash, Megiddo, and all Beth Shan, which is beside Zartan, below Jezreel, from Beth Shan to Ebel Mahala, as far as the other side of Jokanim. Ben Gerber in Ramoth, Gilead, to him belong the towns of Jar and sons of Manasseh, and Gilead. To him also belong the regions of Aragob and Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. And Nahadab, the son of Idio in Mahanam, Ahamaz in Naphtali, he also took uh, Basmoth, the daughter of Solomon, as a wife. Behanah, the son of Hashai, in Asher and Alath. Jehoshaphat, the son of Parah, in Issachar, Shimei, the son of Elah, the Benjamin, and I think Shimei is the same Shimei that was over in, uh, in the last chapter we studied as well. This is kind of before his death. Gerber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. He was the only governor who was in the land. So we look at this in the first verse of that. It says that, that King Solomon was a king over all of Israel. 
there was only there was only two kings that was ever the king of all of Israel. That was David, the last thirty-three years of his reign, and then King Solomon for his entire reign was over the, the nation of Israel. There had never been any other king that was over the entire nation of Israel. It was always divided into Judah and Israel. But here we see he's over all of it. It is uh, united at this point. But we'll see later throughout uh, 1 Kings that it ends up getting divided. So here we see Solomon begins to set up his staff and his officers and the beginning of big government. Because if you listen to if you know anything about King Solomon, he, uh, he spent a lot of money on buildings and projects. He spent a lot of money on his army and horses. He spent a lot of money on food because you can see the government, uh, they had the 12 governors who provided for him all the food that was needed at the palace. So he spent a lot of money and, and put his people under a lot of taxes if you read up on them. So this is the beginning of big government right here. Now also look at this kind of as the body of Christ and all, the, all the, the, the setup that we have here. Because in the body of Christ, we're underneath what? One king, and that's Jesus Christ. And then we have a group of men after that, that all come together. We have overseers, we have pastors, we have laymen, we have elders, we have believers, we have everything underneath this one king. And with, with Christ, is not necessarily a di- dictatorship where a man rules over the rest of the believers. It's not necessarily a democracy where we all get to kind of choose what we're going to do. But we're all a group of men and women together who is doing one thing, and that is trying to seek the face of our God, seek the face of our king, and, 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 and fit under his rule. So as we, as we look through this part in chapter 4, it seems like a bunch of I'm not going to say nonsense, but just a bunch of names and a bunch of positions. But there's a lot more you can get from that. And uh, I was listening to Chuck Smith speak about this, and he talked about uh, his children when they were young, how they would uh, eat on anything. They seemed to get juice out of everything they would eat on. You know, a wash rag, we're going to get juice out of it. He was saying the same thing about this. We're going to go through these verses, and we're going to try and get as much juice out of it as we can. Because stuff like this and also, you know, in the other books where they have all these genealogies and setups, it can be kind of rough getting through it. But God's, every part of God's word has meaning and reason in our life. And we need to look at it and read it as such. So as we close right here, and we're going to get into uh, starting chapter 4, verse 20 next week. We see the wisdom that Solomon has and how he set up his government. And we'll see coming up how he builds the temple and the way he builds the temple. There's a lot you can glean from that as well. And we'll see how Israel prospers under King Solomon. But we'll also start to see how he is drawn away from the Lord as well. And may we take that example of being drawn away from the Lord and not apply it to our lives. Let's always seek him. Let's always be after what the Lord has in his ways. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this word that was uh, brought forth tonight. And we, just like Solomon, ask, Lord, for your wisdom in our life. We ask that you would uh, just grant us wisdom every day, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you every day you give us the wisdom, the knowledge, and understanding that we need to, to just handle our day-to-day business and just handle our, our decisions that need to be made and that we 
we would always walk in your ways and follow your statutes and commands, Father, Lord, and that that condition would be met by us, Father. Forgive us when we fail you, Father God, because you never fail us, Lord, but just forgive us when we fail you, Lord. Pick us back up, dust us off, and let us be on our way, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We just lift up the prayer request back to you. We give you praise. We give you all honor, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.